system. We become bridge builders that, that reassure parents that you can do this. You, you, can, you can be the parent you need to be for your child. You can be the foster parent you need to be for this child. Yes, you can deal with that social worker. But we've also said yes to the Office of Children's Services. Just two weeks ago, we got a call. <sighs> Morale is down at OCS. It's a social, week, uh, social Worker Appreciation Month. And I don't know what to do. Can you help? So Beacon Hill and Church on the Rock rallied round, made a few phone calls. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a taco bar and an appreciation lunch for the social workers because the social workers need encouragement too. And we're able to be that. We're able to be encouragement to the biological families that have lost custody or are about to lose custody of their children. We can be a, a source of encouragement to foster parents, to adoptive parents, because I tell you something, it's not all, we've adopted, yay, all the problems are over. It's the beginning of a journey that sees cycles of grief over and over again in the life of that child and that adoptive family have said yes to it. But we've also said yes to the weary social worker. And that's what the stand is about. We say, we can't all do the same thing, but everyone can do something. We can change the child welfare system, you and I. When we was, I was preparing for the stand this year, um, I really felt that the, the theme should be don't stand alone. Take a stand for children and families, but don't stand alone. When you think of the word alone, I wonder what comes into your head. Some of you, like my family, might have watched a TV series called Alone where they dump somebody in the middle of Alaska, kind of like Talkeetna, and say, survive, survive the bear, survive the cold, um, go find your own food. And at the end of it, you win $500,000. See, we've said it's such a good thing if you can do it alone. Let's put prize money with that. I think um, some of you probably moved to this part of Alaska because you wanted to be alone. Some of us crave being alone. I am sure there are parents in this room that say, uh, I would like to go to the bathroom alone. That would be great for me. <laughs> Some of you are at work and somebody's asking you for a decision all day, every day. Give me a decision. Decide, decide, decide. Talk, 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 talk. And you get home and you're like, can I just be alone? There's value to being alone. But have you ever felt really alone? I remember the first time I felt this, I was 18 years old and I had uh, lived in the same small town all of my life and I got the opportunity to go to college in Liverpool in England. And my dad came with me with all my worldly goods and there was uh, these, we call them flats, apartments. And uh, I remember taking my boxes of stuff in there and I remember that last box and waving goodbye to my dad and he left and I knew nobody. Have you ever been transplanted into a place where you didn't know anybody at all? I was like, oh. 
I gotta find a friend. It's hard. It's hard to make friends. I remember the other side of college where I got the degree. I bought a house. I was in a great job. I'd been um, uh, promoted after my first year of teaching into kind of a managerial role. Uh, I was pioneering a women's rugby club um, in Liverpool uh, that were producing people that went on to play for England and Wales. I was successful, right? Everything I needed, all the success, all the things that I wanted. And every night I would go home and I would buy a bottle of whiskey on the way and I don't even like whiskey. And I would go home and I would drink it alone. There was something missing from my life. I didn't know at that point that it was Jesus. I didn't know at that point that it was authentic community, not just drinking friends. I was still alone. But I think the most alone I have ever felt was when I became a parent. You might see a dashing young man on the front row. This is Cayman, my son. You want to wave to everyone, Cayman? And, and my dashing husband, sorry. He's, he's <laughs> when Cayman was born, um, there was a period of almost two years where I felt alone. I was failing as a parent. We didn't know that Cayman was going to go on and be diagnosed with autism at the age of two. We didn't, I didn't know that at that point. I just felt like a complete failure. I had the most supportive husband in the world right by my side. I had a beautiful community of church right by my side. And I felt so alone because failure makes you feel alone. There's a shame around it. There's a guilt around it. There's a confusion around it. When you can't parent your own children, what is wrong with me? And there are so many parents that are alone because they don't know how to parent their own children. They don't have the most supportive husband in the world. They don't have the most supportive church in the world. They don't have community. They are alone and failing and it's, it's so isolating. Those are the parents that we want to see. Those are the parents we want to touch the life of. In the Old Testament, we have a writer. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot. I wasn't gonna do this, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> um, in Genesis, still the Old Testament, so I'm still on track. In Genesis. Um, if you look at the story of creation, God is creating. He's like, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then there's one point he creates Adam and says, it's not good. Sorry, he didn't say Adam's not good. He said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Now, I've read that, I don't know how many times, but this time I read it and went, wait, wait a minute, this is Adam 
in the garden with the living God, there's no sin, no barrier, nothing between to, to stop him being in perfect communion with the living God. And God still says, it's not good for man to be alone because there's this, this, he will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be with you. But God created you for relationship because in relationship, you can be fruitful. It is not good for man or woman to be alone. God even calls that out despite his, it, he can give Adam everything he needs. That blew my mind. Have you ever read a scripture that it's like, I've read that so many times and then it goes, boom, it's new. That's, what, that's the journey God's been taking me on with this. So let's go back to where I was going in Ecclesiastes. We have, the, the author is believed to be Solomon. Now Solomon is a very wise man. In fact, he's being gifted wisdom by God. He has money, he has authority, he has power. And yet, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's pretty depressing. It's meaningless. He's so, you can tell there's this sense of aloneness. He's got all the things and yet he feels alone. But in the middle of all of this, Solomon has this moment of clarity where he, he kind of drops some truth for us and it's still relevant today. And we're, that's what we're gonna dig into today. And so the, uh, the scripture is Ecclesiastes 4, verses nine through the beginning of 12. And this is, how, this is that scripture. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to uh, back, to back and conquer. I love this passage and we're gonna just dive into it um, in sections because there's things that I want to pull out for us to pay attention to today. The first is two are, are better than one for they can help each other succeed. I think sometimes we get into relationships where somebody is, uh, is failing and we go, okay, I'm the one with all the knowledge and resources and you're gonna suck me dry because you're the needy one. And that's not what, this is not what a good fruitful relationship looks like. We help each other. It's a two-way thing. So each other is the first thing that I want you to pay attention to there. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Has anyone ever fallen when there's nobody else around? Yes. I, yeah. I was painting in our bedroom on a step stool that I had not pulled out all the way and it decided to collapse just as I'm up there 
painting with a gallon of paint in my hand in my bedroom that has carpet. And it went boom, and there I am. On the floor, the, the top of the steps went into my ribs, so I'm winded, I'm <laughs> and I'm just watching the gallon of paint just ooze out all over my carpet. And it's like, where's my cell phone? <laughs> but what if you don't have anyone to call? I was able to go, okay, man, call dad. <laughs> but sometimes you don't have anyone that you can call. That's a sad place to be. That's a scary place to be. Who do you call when you fall? And I'm not just talking about falling, you know, off a step ladder. I'm talking about when you fail, when you fall flat on your face, when that addiction rears its head again, when you fail to parent, when you fail in that thing you've been battling, when you Whatever failure looks like to you, who do you call? Do you have someone? The thing about that is if we, if we look again also, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. Let's take away the cell phones. Who is in your life? They're close enough to notice. They're close enough to reach out and say, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you up. Because that's what a friend does. I'm, I can be a terrible friend. I won't see you for months. And it's like, I don't know what's going on in your life. That's not what this is talking about. It's being close enough to notice, to go, something's off. Hey, what's going on? Who's close enough when you fall? And who are you close enough to reach out to when they fall? Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? We're in Alaska. My brain goes to hypothermia straight away on this one. So you're, you're out there, you're freezing, and they know, you know what they tell you to do. Strip off, right? And get up close and personal. That's going to save a life. But it's the same when you feel out, left out in the cold. You feel rejected. You feel emotionally left out in the cold. You are isolated. Who's going to come in, strip it all away, be real, and bring the warmth and comfort of a friend, because we need that. We need the warmth and comfort of a friend, but we need somebody who's willing to strip it all back and be real with us to provide that. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. I love this one. I actually, I chose the NLT just for this verse because it's different in each, each version, but this one talks about the back-to-back. Imagine you are, you've got a battle, whatever your battle is, choose your battle. And you're there, you're fighting, you're weary, you feel like you're, you're def- getting defeated. And then someone comes and stands alongside you. You feel stronger, right? 
You, they give you that, that extra energy. You know you've got somebody on your side. Two is better than one. But in this case, they talk about going back to back, not side to side. Now, if you think about that, I see my battle. This is what I see. And I'm busy fighting my battle, whether it's spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever that battle is, and I'm fighting. And when my friend comes, they stand back to back with me. Do they see all the same things that I see? No. Completely different perspective is what they bring to the battle. They see the things that you don't see. They've got your back. Who's got your back? Who's got your back and whose back have you got? Who's got your back when you fall? Who's got your back when you need comfort? Who's got your back when you're battling? And whose back have you got? Who is close enough to notice what's going on in your life? And whose life are you close enough to notice what's going on in theirs? So I talked to you about when I was dropped off at Liverpool with my little box of stuff, feeling alone. And I had a choice to make. I just put my head down and go and stay by myself or do I make friends? Making friends is hard. One of the things that we talk about a lot with the stand and when we're talking with children and families, in fact, it's the reason that the Office of Children's Services calls us when they need a foster parent. I asked them once, why do you call us when you need help? And they said, because we know that when you send somebody to us, they will come with a circle of support. It's really important, but it's hard. How do you reach out? Um, I'm failing as a parent. Would you come and uh, help me? You're not going to do that. You need some, to, we need to start having those relationships that see you when you fall, not that you're on the floor going, um, excuse me, I have a broken leg. Uh, could you be my friend? We need to start building those relationships before we fall, before we're out in the cold, before the battle. It's community. It's something you guys do really well, which is really interesting in a place where com people come to, to be alone, that you, you can do community well in here. That, that says something about who you are. So we're going to have my take <laughs> on how you make friends, how you start building a circle of support, how you start being in intentional relationship with other people. Now, this is gonna be one of those things you're gonna have to chew the meat and spit out the bones. This might not be your cup of tea, but I'm just gonna share with you something that has become very, very meaningful to me. 
And it actually came out of when we were going through a season as a church of looking at what intentional disciple making looked like. And I tried doing Bible studies with people and this and that. And I was like, oh, good grief, this is not working for me. But I know we're called to make disciples. I know that we're called to intentional relationships. So I better figure something out quick. So what do you do? You lean back on what you know, right? So I come from England. And in England, if there's an emergency and you call the police over to your house or emergency services, I don't know if it's still like this, but when I was growing up, there's one thing that they would always do. They would say, put kettle on. That means put the kettle on. That means boil some water (laughs) because they're going to make you a cup of tea. It might not look like this. This is my grandma's set from England. So I like to show it off when I can. It's kind of posh. They'll make you a cup of tea. They'll put some sugar in it because it brings comfort. It also raises your blood sugar level, but hey, that's something else. But it, it's a source of comfort and it's a source of connection. So I come up with my own little way and it's called four cups of tea. You can fill in the blank, four cups of whatever you like. Well, within reason. Four cups of, four cups of connection. The first cup of tea, I invite somebody, and it's usually a a young lady. I kind of, my zone for for cups of tea is uh, women that have just left high school and up to young mothers. That's kind of my, I have tea with a lot of those, those types of ladies. And I invite them for one cup of tea or, hey, you want to come over for coffee? And at the first time I meet with them, I ask them the most fascinating question in the world. Do you know what it is? What's your story? It's fascinating. It's fascinating the stories that you will hear. It's also fascinating to see what they want to share about themselves. It reveals something about who they are at the core. And that's what I'm after. In fact, I don't do this because this is pretense. This is all roses and gold and beautiful. It's usually a mug, isn't it? (laughs) Because I want the real you to show up for this cup. I want to know your story, your real story, not that story that you think I want to hear, but I want to know your story. It's the most fascinating question you could ever ask anyone. And then after that, I usually say, okay, so we've had one cup of tea. I want to invite you to four cups. And this can take four weeks. It can take four months or four years. And in that way, I make room for myself because I'm really bad at scheduling things and scheduling friendships and connections time. So it gives me some accountability, but it also gives flexibility. It gives the other person flexibility too. It doesn't put anybody under any pressure. So we say four weeks, four months, or four years. And we get together and we just have tea. And it's amazing for cup two, how deep you can go because you've already told your story at cup one. 
Now this may be not your cup of tea. Maybe your cup of tea looks a little bit more like this. Maybe it involves a jet boil. I don't know. Whatever your cup of tea, your cup of coffee, hot chocolate in the back I've seen as well. Don't drink hot chocolate before you speak, by the way. Uh, I just learned that lesson. <laughs> but maybe this is what your four cups look like. It's not going to look like grandma's fancy china. But the idea is that you're going for connection. You're going for intentional relationship. I know that if one of my ladies, one of my friends says, hey, we need to have tea. There's one of three things that's happening is, hey, I really want to get to know you more, which is awesome because we're being intentional about relationship, right? Or it's, hey, I already know you and I miss you. You're my friend. Love that. Love that they can initiate and they have permission to initiate because we've got this arrangement. The other reason why somebody asks me for a cup of tea is because they need help. They know that they're falling, they need comfort, or they're facing a battle, and it tunes me into that. It's instant permission to go from zero deep dive into real intentional relationship. That's how I do it. I don't know how you do it. But what I do know is this, is a circle of support starts with one relationship. It's a straight line to begin a circle of support. And I really want to encourage you. This is something that everyone can do. Not everybody can adopt one of those kids off the wall. Not everyone can be a foster parent. But you know what? You can have a cup of something with a, an adoptive parent, with a foster parent, with a failing parent, with a social worker. We can all do that. Everybody needs somebody. So if you are alone, I want to encourage you to step out of that bubble of aloneness, to do something intentional, because you're not the only one that needs connection. There's somebody out there that needs you too. I want you to imagine with me what it might look like if every parent, foster parent, adoptive parent, social worker, had somebody that they could call for a cup of something whenever they needed it. What would happen if every fire pit, every cafe, subway next door was filled with people meeting regularly to connect. If you don't think a cup of coffee can change your life, then talk to my husband, Tim, at Band of Brothers and let him tell you some of the stories. It's been incredible. And it's one of the reasons why I wholeheartedly support Band of Brothers. A cup of coffee, a cup of tea can save a life. A cup of coffee, a cup of tea can save a family. A cup could change our child welfare system. 
That's one of the things that blows my mind about our position as a church is we're invited to the table to go, okay, how should family contact look like? Let's get this university and let's get that and let's do a pilot scheme and let's, let's change the system. We get to be there, but we also get to be at the fire pit changing the life of a man or a woman that desperately needs help. We get to do both. What an amazing privilege. Next week, there is an event. Um, there's some of these postcards. You can take one if you want to invite someone. It's, it's the, the stand event. And again, we have this unique privilege. OCS is going to be there. The Office of Children's Services is gonna be there. Beacon Hill, Young Life, um, Alaska Youth and Family Network who come alongside biological parents that have lost custody or may be about to lose custody. We've got all kinds of community partners that are gonna show up and then we need our community to show up. Even if you're not the foster parent or the adoptive parent, you're the friend that comes with. So if you want to invite someone to that, feel free to take a postcard. It's at Wasilla Campus at 6.30 um, next week. We all need somebody who's close enough to see. Let's see part two of the video now of what happened to the Wombolt family when they were in that very uncomfortable place. They've got baby Jane and suddenly OCS want to take custody again. Is there anybody close enough to notice? When we first heard that Hannah and Scott were getting a foster placement, the Lord put it on our heart to pray for baby Jane. And while we were praying, um, we just really felt that the Lord put it on our heart that they would need rest. And so then we offered to take baby Jane for the weekend. And um, as the weekend approached and got closer, we found out that through Hannah and Scott that her placement was going to be extended. And that's when the Holy Spirit told me to offer to take her. And so I offered to take her and I knew that um, they needed the help. So uh, we'd been foster parents for many years now. So the idea of bringing a new baby to the home wasn't uh, intimidating or a big deal to us. But this time, was different. We had uh, a group of friends um, with Scott and Hannah to to help and the support from a life group and um, to help us in a way we we never thought to ask for before, but uh, saw the impact it made on, on our life and caring for baby Jane. This was a life group. And they decided not to just show up for that churchy thing that we're supposed to be doing. They decided to show up in each other's lives, to pray about circumstances, even to the point of saying, we're gonna take the baby. We know that you've got morning sickness. We know that you're expecting your fourth child. We'll take the baby. In fact, next week, Cody gets to continue the story. You'll find out more about baby Jane's circle of support. But I just want to encourage you that in this season where we're really focused on taking a stand for children and families, just to remind you that we cannot 
all do the same thing, but we can all do something. And just like Sophie said this morning, follow. Follow where the Lord is leading, dig in, maybe have a cup of coffee with someone and say, here's what I think the Lord is nudging me towards. What is your experience? In fact, next week at the stand, we're going to have uh, in the cafe area, Kitri and Jonathan Walker and, and two more of my friends, the Beckers, who have been fostering and adopting for years, just to sit and have coffee with people. And not just the agencies, not just the friends in the room, but wisdom from those who have walked the path before. So, um, yeah, I just want to leave you with an encouragement. Ask God, what is he asking you to do to take a stand for children and families. Can I pray for you before we, we go into, will you stand with me um, as we pray? Lord, we thank you for the privilege of where you've placed us as a church. Lord, I pray God today and over the next few days that you would make your, your uh, will evident to each one of us. Lord, what role do we play? Do we need to reach out because we're falling? Do we need to reach out because we feel left out in the cold? Do we need to reach out because we're struggling a battle that we've told nobody about? Or do we need to be the ones that come alongside? Father, you have a role for each one of us to be part of something beautiful and great. Lord, we can change what is happening, the destructive forces that are coming against our families, the suffering of children, Lord, that you have placed us here at this time to be your hands and feet. So Father, we surrender to you. We ask for your wisdom, your strength, and your discernment in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.